look at some readings in a moment from Isaiah. I said we're going to take quite a big chunk tonight, and I'll explain why. Um, I think it's been just, a, a, for me personally, uh, just a joy to preach through Isaiah. Um, I don't think I've ever done that before in my 20-odd years of ministry to preach through uh, this amazing prophecy. Picked bits, you know, the best bits, like, you know, at Christmas and things like that, where we often read pass- passages of Isaiah, but just to get that whole picture. And, and, and just to give that little bit of background again, the, the big idea in, in Isaiah is God is bigger than we think. God is bigger than we think. And the first 12 chapters, which we've kind of got up to in our series, has been about the greatness of God. And Isaiah was given this glorious vision of a holy, holy, holy God. Not just a holy God, but a holy, holy, holy God. Bigger than we think, holier than we think, sterner than we think, which sometimes troubles us. Stronger than we think, but more gracious than we think. More loving than we think. And closer than we think. And to fix in our minds that Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born. Yet he clearly had revelation about Jesus. And throughout this prophecy that he, um, the ministry that he has, there is judgment and salvation. In chapter 6, he, that's that call to ministry, the call to be a prophet, not only to, to Judah and Israel, but to the nations. And uh, that comment in, in John chapter 12 that I'd glazed over so many times when I read it, that John says Isaiah saw Jesus in that vision in chapter 6. He saw Jesus. The vision of God, high and lifted up, seated on his throne. He saw Jesus. Chapter 7, that sign of Emmanuel, God with us. A virgin will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Chapter 9, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the name's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the Trinity. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. His picture of God is... So big. And then in chapter 11 that we got up to last time, he will come from the branch of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father, and through that line, the Messiah will come, King Jesus, King of the world, King of the universe, the creator of the universe. And so we now change. It it kind of changes The next 11 or so chapters are are judgment on the nations. He brings that part of his prophecy to close with that that sort of psalm of praise that I read right at the beginning, chapter 12. It's the shortest chapter in Isaiah, six verses. And it's just a, a, a song of praise that God is the God of the nations. And then from chapter 13 to 23, there are 10 chapters on judgment, a prophecy against Assyria, a prophecy against the Philistines, against Moab, Aram, Cush, Egypt, Babylon, Tyre, and shockingly against Jerusalem as well. And in all of that, we see that God is the God of all the nations, and all the nations are accountable to him. Now, making predictions about foreign affairs or events in world history is fraught with danger. 
Think of the generals who went to war in the summer of 1914. We're going to be commemorating 100 years since the First World War ended. But those generals who went to war in the summer of 1914, confidently predicting that we would all be home before Christmas. The troops would all be home before Christmas. And then four years later, after 16 million people had died, the war ended. Or Neville Chamberlain, if you've got that sort of picture in your mind, if you're old enough to remember or have seen the picture of the British Prime Minister declaring peace in our time after a meeting with Adolf Hitler in 1938. And then by the end of the World War II in 1945, an estimated 60 million people had died. Making predictions can be a foolish thing to do unless you are God. So I'm going to read not all the ten chapters. You'll be relieved to know but a portion of those. So from chapter 13, this is a prophecy prophecy against Babylon. And then I'll be reading some of chapter 14 as well. A prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. Shout to them, beckon to them, to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded those I prepared for battle. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath. Those who rejoice in my triumph. Listen, a noise on the mountains like that of the great multitude. Listen, an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together. The Lord Almighty is mustering an army for war. They come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make that land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Like a hunted gazelle, like a sheep without a shepherd... Have I gone further than I was supposed to? Yeah, okay. I'll stop there. I'll get carried away. And then chapter 14, just one verse. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Foreigners will join them and unite with the descendants of Jacob. And then from uh, chapter 14 again, verses 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly at the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. 
but you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And I could go on reading through the next 10 chapters, but you get the theme. And I thought, well, we could have 10 weeks of just judgment and justice for all the nations. But I thought we may be waning in the congregation by then. Another week of judgment and justice. So I want to take this kind of, um, these 10 chapters as a whole, really. 10 chapters of foreign policy predictions. These words of Isaiah must have sounded far-fetched when Isaiah spoke them. Take just the first one about that judgment of of Babylon. And what he means by Babylon there is not the Babylonian Empire. That will come later. He's talking about Assyria. There's a theme throughout the scriptures where evil uh, empires are called Babylon. You'll know that from the book of Revelation as well, that even Rome was called Babylon. But he brings this judgment. And Assyria were the superpower of its day. And yet Isaiah, this this prophet from Judea, stands up and prophesies that this superpower will will diminish. It will be destroyed. Its power will wane. And everyone will be going, you're mad. It would be like saying that America will be humbled. Although we're beginning to, maybe not, maybe not. And it wouldn't happen in Isaiah's lifetime. It would actually be a couple of hundred years later when the empire of Assyria actually falls. But his prophecy comes true. He predicts in this ten chapters and tops and tells them with Assyria and Tyre. Assyria was the greatest land empire, but Tyre was the greatest sea empire. They ruled the waves. Remember that? Empires fall, don't they? And he predicts their falling. When God gives warnings, when God gives those predictions or prophecies, they are never exaggerated. They come to pass. I read this story this week of a mother who caught her young son in a blatant lie. Do you know what happens to people who tell lies like that? No. Well, a fiery dragon comes and takes them away for 10 years and makes them work with very hard labor. Now, you're not going to tell lies anymore, are you? Wide-eyed, no. And why not? Because you tell even better lies. (laughs) When God gives warnings, they're never exaggerated. They are always true. And always necessary. And there are times when we could read these passages and think, oh, we're a little bit uncomfortable with this. God of wrath and God of judgment. How does that fit in with our our idea of God? In fact, the people who heard these prophecies would have initially been rubbing their hands because initially Isaiah would have spoken them to the people of Judea and some of Israel as well. And as they listened to the sort of catalogue of God bringing his judgment on the nations around them, they would have gone, yes, that's, that's true, that's great. Until among the list of the nations, he even names Jerusalem will face the judgment of God. Judgment will come home because they too have turned away from the true living God. But why is God's judgment necessary? 
Now, the answer in its most simplest form is because of his love. That's why judgment is necessary. God is too loving to let evil go on forever. His very character of holiness demands that evil is dealt with. The presence of evil in our world is dealt with. Imagine it, to let evil go on forever would suggest that there is no difference between God and the devil. No difference between good and evil. No difference between right and wrong. But God says, no, there is. The nations had been led astray. The nations in that catalogue have all turned to evil practices, to the occult, to pagan worship, even to the point of sacrificing their children in the fire as an offering to their gods. Consulting the dead, sorcery, mediums, all that uh, panoply of the occult. Even in Jerusalem, King Ahaz had turned to the occult. And God's judgment is on the sin because he loves those. He is made. But against the evil of the nations, against the idolatry of the nations, against the very pride of the nations, and that's borne out in in the first prophecy about Assyria, because the king of Assyria had, 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 he thought he was the one who had achieved all his victories because of himself and exalted himself. In Isaiah's days, salvation for Judea and Israel would have probably more looked like the return from exile because they had been conquered. So much of the northern kingdom and much of the south had been ravaged by Assyria, depopulated. Remember when Isaiah had his firstborn son, what did he name him? He says, a remnant will return. That was his name. He named his first boy, a remnant will return. A remnant will repent because God offers that. To come back. And we know, because not only have we read Isaiah's prophetic vision, but we have seen the fulfillment of it. All of it in Jesus Christ. The complete fulfillment of Isaiah awaits the day anticipated in the New Testament when Jesus comes. How does God bring his judgment? He judges sin. What does he do about it? He dies for it. Himself. He takes sin upon himself that he may offer salvation to the world. Throughout Isaiah, he's not just prophesying to Judea and Jerusalem. He's saying this is for the whole world. This Messiah that is coming is for the whole world. Get right with God. Come back to God. And when Jesus comes, he comes first to bear sin says in Hebrews, when, when Jesus came, he came to bear sin. When he comes again, he will come to judge the world and bring salvation to those who are his. And he will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, there will be no more evil, no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying, All tears will be done away with. That is the ultimate fulfillment of these passages. Isaiah knows that the Lord God is a holy, holy, holy God. And that his holiness 
demands justice and judgment. Do we not often, when we hear the news or hear stories of things, just cry out for justice? It's something within our hearts cry out, and there will be. There will be justice. There will be. Every one of us will have to stand before God. Evil must be dealt with. And within these 10 chapters, we get this glimpse in chapter 14, the passage I read from chapter 12 onwards, of the origin of evil in our world. Where does it come from? Were people just bad? And we get this glimpse right there in the Old Testament, the origin of evil, the explanation of the presence of evil in our world. That passage from Isaiah, but also from, from Ezekiel, if we could have uh, Ezekiel 28, verse 13 to 18. Who do you think this is about? You were in Eden. The garden of God, the very precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite and emerald, topaz, onyx and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. And you were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries, so I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I will reduce you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. Any revelation then? Chapter 12. Another picture that John paints in his book of visions. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So in that passage in Isaiah, that passage in Ezekiel, that passage in Revelation, we get this picture that we don't get from Genesis chapter 1 or 2. How did, how did the devil get there in the first place? He was there in heaven, a created being, an angelic being. Described as a beautiful angel, morning star in Isaiah, the Latin translation is Lucifer who enjoyed his calling to be one of God's mighty angels, but because of his wickedness. And, and it gives us that idea that even among the angels, there's free will. There's a freedom to choose to honor God or dishonor God. And we don't know whether he was jealous of God himself, jealous of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
jealous of God's plans. Imagine if he'd got inkling of God's plans to make human beings in God's image. God's likeness. Human beings to enjoy a relationship with God forever. We don't know. But what we do know from those verses is that he rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven onto the earth. And along with all the other angels or demons now we call them who followed him, the devil is that fallen angel who opposes God and is the source of evil in our world, who seeks to lead mankind astray. Here, even in Isaiah, we have that prophecy that God is going to deal with that. And it speaks of war. God is good and holy. Satan leads astray. He has schemes. We see that when Jesus is actually born in Bethlehem, there is an attempt on his life immediately. When Jesus first comes out into his public ministry, what did he do after he's baptized? He's driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, but he faces the temptations of the devil there. And the devil in his arrogance says to Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. He assumes that that's his to give. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. You only have to bow down and worship me. And Jesus in his humanity rebuts the enemy. When Isaiah prophesied the fall of these nations because of their allegiance to God's enemies, that's the key thing. God wants to save this whole world, but he will bring judgment on his enemies. But in Jesus, when Jesus comes, that judgment on sin falls on Jesus to offer the whole world salvation but when he comes again he will bring judgment on the nations Paul makes it personal he says our battle when Ephesians that each believer in God has a personal battle is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers we have an enemy someone who pursues us Because we align ourselves with God. We have an enemy. So this bright morning star who described as that beautiful angel. Who enjoyed his calling to be one of God's mighty angels. But falls. Seeks to lead mankind astray. The king of Assyria chose darkness. The Moabites sacrificed their own children to a demon god called Chemosh. Even the Israelites under King Ahaz turned to the occult, worshipping Asherah, demon goddess of fertility, and Moloch, a Baal god. The Egyptians turned to witchcraft. But throughout these chapters of judgment, there is interwoven through it all the hope of salvation. There's a wonderful passage about the Assyrians and Egyptians and the Israelites becoming friends. When I traveled in Egypt many years ago, seven or so years ago, I remember that this was a a passage that they held on to as the church in Egypt that is suffering persecution. But they believed that one day God was going to bring peace among Iran, Iraq, Egypt, Israel. 
And we think, how on earth is that going to happen? Just think of the news that you've seen in recent days. How on earth is that going to happen? God is going to do it. God is going to do it. He is about his sovereign work. So yes, judgment is pronounced, but there's also always the offer of reconciliation. Former enemies will become friends. War is declared on the idols of these nations. There is a battle to save. There's a battle for every human heart, every life. Sometimes we don't see it so much. Sometimes it's so obvious that there is a battle going on within someone's heart. You may know somebody that you're so praying for that they'll become a Christian and, and they're not aware, but there is a battle over their heart. Someone, something doesn't want them to come to know Jesus, doesn't want them to come to know the truth. We know who that is and we must fight with the weapons that we have. Remember that God deals with sin by coming himself, Jesus, the Lamb of God, prophesied again and again and again in Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus comes, that Jesus will come. And when we get to those amazing passages in chapters 50s and onwards, when he describes how the Messiah will die, that suffering servant, how does God overcome sin in our world? He dies that we might be free through the cross Jesus Emmanuel God with us will give his life for the world and when Jesus walked on this earth the enemy threw everything at him and as he was crucified the enemy rejoiced But Jesus rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him. He ascended to heaven and he will return. Death has been conquered. Sin has been defeated. Its penalty, its power, and one day its presence will be all gone. And evil will be no more. And Isaiah, through this whole prophecy, is saying, Whose side are you on? Would you side with the holy, holy, holy God? Or would you make a stand against him? It's a call to the nations, a call to the world to be on the side of the holy, holy, holy one. And so we come tonight rejoicing that we sing these songs because we know the saving power of Christ in our lives. We know that we are part of God's kingdom coming on earth. And we know that one day we will see Jesus face to face. And yes, we will be totally embarrassed by our own sins, but we are his, cleansed by his blood, his child. And so we can sing with confidence and we can pray with confidence. Come, Lord Jesus, come. One day, all evil will be dealt with and will be banished forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together.